Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 124. This week, we talk with Morton Nielsen about mapping and geospatial. The latest announcements from Ignite. Azure price cuts. And Samsung experiences explosive sales. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week, we have Morton Nielsen, Microsoft MVP for Windows development. His main focus is API and Xamarin control development, and he works for Esri, building mapping controls for .NET and Xamarin. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. So, uh, Carl, what's going on? We just jump in the Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week? Yeah, before that, I will have to say that this coming next week, I'm actually giving two <laughs> totally different presentations, uh, one in Appleton at the Technology Hub Conference. I'll be talking about okay. IoT. And then two days later on Saturday at Milwaukee Code Camp, I will be talking about UWP development. Excellent. So if you're going to be in the area of either one of those, uh, come on down. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, if you can't get enough Carl, go see him in person. And remember, he's just always surrounded with swag, so you'll get stickers always. and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, very cool. So who is our Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week? This week, it went to Darren Grayson, who contacted us on Twitter. Uh, in fact, it was yesterday he reached out to us. Uh, we had taken last week off, and we put a little reminder on Twitter so people wouldn't freak out. But apparently, he thought his podcast app was broken because he didn't see <laughs> Uh, you didn't see it. So he reached out to us on Twitter and realized that uh, we ha had put out that notification. And then, uh, you know, I just said, hey, we try to give out notifications when stuff like this happens. And he says, your output is prodigious and consistently good quality. So we can't deny you the odd break. My panic is over. So <laughs> I just like that a lot. So because of that, Darren, you win this week's Infragistics Ultimate License. And if you would like to get mentioned on the show, like Darren, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check out those ice those five star ice tuned reviews again to see if anybody new has put one out there. So that's what I'll be looking for. So uh, go out there and and make sure you leave us a review. That really helps us out. Okay, so news. What are we going in here? What's the first thing? So the first thing is a question that we put out there as a Twitter poll. Uh, yep. We we wanted to see Jason and I were thinking of ways to expand the show. We're like, how about a newsletter? So we put three options. No, I get enough spam. Yes, more content monthly, or yes, quarterly at most. And when you add up the both of the yeses, it, the nos win 58 to 42%. So it saves me and Jason a bit of work, and uh, we don't spam you guys. So we do want to listen vote, to you guys. I voted. You vote? I voted too. <laughs> All right. I said, no, I get enough spam. Plus, it'd be weird <laughs> just sending email to myself. So, um, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, we're working. Uh, we're coming up with a few ideas to improve the show. Some of them we'll ask a few questions about. Some of them are just going to uh, happen. So uh, this is just one of the ways that we're reaching out. Mm -hmm. uh, although we did get a comment down there by Colin Wynn, a previous uh, winner, I believe. He says, uh, no, your podcast and show notes cover more than enough to not warrant the need. So... There are a few people who gave their additional comments as well. 
Perfect, perfect. Okay, so next up is Microsoft Ignite. So this took place last week, which of course, um, you know, some of these big conferences are always like kind of the the big bang releases for for a whole bunch of different features. Um, and some features that get announced around that or before that all get grouped in here. But there's basically what we'll do in the show notes is we're going to link to this mega post that covers everything. I used to do this in the past, but they this is uh, you know, right on the, the TechNet site and they did an amazing job of consolidating this. So there's really no reason for me to do anything. Um, I was just going to call out a couple of things that people might be interested in. Uh, first one being that windows server 2016 is now GA. Um, so it's now, uh, um, available, so generally available. So if you want to go start, uh, testing your software on that, you can go do that. Um, that's a pretty, pretty exciting, uh, release. Cause it's been a few years since the last version of, of windows server. Um, what else we got here? Azure stack. Now there is technical preview too. So Azure stack is basically the, uh, version of Azure that you can install, you know, on, on your own machines so that you can run Azure services locally. Um, so you can play with the latest on that, um, Azure disk encryption. Um, so this is all generally available. This is a pretty cool feature. So it's basically using BitLocker and Linux disk encryption to encrypt your, uh, VM disks in Azure using, um, using a key, uh, which is a pretty cool feature. There's a lot of, uh, customers and partners that have this as a, as a requirement. So it's great having this, um, Azure DNS, which we've talked about before is now generally available. Uh, let's see storage encryption, which is different from disk encryption. So disk encryption is actually the disks attached to a VM, but the storage encryption, that's basically anything you store in blob storage, which pretty much powers like everything that you store in Azure. Um, you know, any kind of services that store anything are generally built on top of that. And now you can always encrypt from the client, but now it'll actually do server side encryption of that, of that data. Uh, let's see here. A couple new um, machine series have come out, which is really great, basically expanding the SKUs available. So the new one is the H series, which is pretty neat. So it's a Haswell uh, processor. There's two different sizes. Um, actually, there's a couple different sizes, but they're eight in the eight and 16 core varieties. Uh, they have DD4, DD4 memory, local SSD, um, RDMA. So basically like super powerful machines, great for specific workloads. Um, and then there's just things like accelerated NICs, um, there's a performance enhancements on a couple different things here. Uh, VNet peering, which is kind of neat. If you have a virtual network in two different, uh, two different, uh, regions, you can now peer those so that you can send traffic, you know, essentially privately, uh, between those without having, uh, to exit the data center and pay those kinds of fees. Um, so making those two virtual networks, uh, essentially be able to talk to each other directly. Uh, service fabric, a topic we've talked about on the show before is now generally, uh, the Linux preview is generally available. Actually the Linux preview, I think is, I'm sorry, that's preview. The, uh, service fabric for windows server is what is generally available. So actually running it low on a local machine. Uh, event hubs, another topic we've talked about on the show, uh, they added a feature called archival where you can actually have event hubs, um, save data out to storage automatically for you and handle all that, which is, uh, which is very cool. So those, you know, kind of looking through those, those were the big announcements, but if there's a product that you care about, uh, hit up the link in our show notes and go out there and see if there's an announcement around what you're interested in. So I don't know if there was anything, Carl, that, that you pulled out of there that you, uh, that you wanted to mention. 
Well, it's not really that I wanted to mention, but I um, until I saw this list, I wasn't aware of that event hubs archival feature because that's actually something that I've done manually before, where I create yeah. my own output in a you know off of stream analytics to yep. redirect it into storage, and it looks like that's just going to save you uh, a couple of steps and potentially even some money since that's uh, a little yep. bit more baked in now. Yeah, stream analytics was always the trick, right? Like it knew how to write out to storage. So you would wire in stream analytics and and just have the data pass through there and it would store it for you. So yeah, you're right. It's just uh, a little bit uh, less costly now and uh, just quicker and easier to configure. Okay, Microsoft cuts Azure VM prices by up to 50%. What? How am I going to get paid, Carl? <laughs> you got to just do <laughs> twice as much, Jason. Okay, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just crank up the work. So let's see here. DV2 uh, VM prices are dropping by as much as 15%. Not a huge drop there. Well, I mean, that's still significant, though, because, uh, you know, customers could be spending thousands of dollars for, for VMs. Um, what's interesting, though, is A1 and A2 basic VMs are dropping by as much as 50%. Um, compute optimized F-series VM prices are going to drop as much as 11%. Um, and then there's going to be AV2. And just so you know, if it's not, if you're, you know, not completely familiar with Azure, whenever you see this, this series, but you see, you know, like AV2, it's basically series A version two is what they're referring to. So AV2 series VMs will be, uh, become available next month and will cost uh, as much as 36% less than the A series standard VMs. And what's cool whenever they do that, like whenever they came out with DV2, um, I think across the board, the DV2 machines were the same price as the, as the, as the version one. It's just how they roll out, you know, the next, uh, generation of, uh, of processors. So you essentially get the latest and greatest without any, um, increase in cost, which is, uh, which is really cool. Okay. Now you can include a live code demo in OneNote. What, what is this, Carl? This is like uh, wizardry in my OneNote here. Yeah. So just, just so those, uh, at, at home and listening are are aware we do all of our show notes in OneNote, so we're actually yep. I have one embedded right now. So there's <laughs> this service called Repelit, R E P L dot I T, and you can pick a bunch of different languages, and in the browser you can code and execute it. Now OneNote has added support for this, so you if you create a share link out and just paste that share link into OneNote, now it'll actually embed that little bit of environment into your OneNote now. So Right now, there's just a little bit of code that's in C Sharp, console.writeline, MS Dev Show for Life. And when we run it, you actually a little console pops up and you see the output as MS Dev Show for Life. So yeah, it's like the code is like running in OneNote, even, even though I know it actually isn't, but like it, it is. <laughs> and, and, and how they, they marketed it is I think the, the title of the article is now teachers can include live demos in OneNote. So apparently, there are, there's groups of teachers that use one note to display things to their students. And now that they can actually write code live through this browser integration into OneNote. So I think this is really cool. That's super cool. Okay. And then the next one here, which is, uh, seems to pertain to today's conversation, announcing ArcGIS maps for Power BI by Esri. What? Okay. So, (laughs) so now you can basically take the awesome maps that uh, Esri creates and embed those into uh, into Power BI. So the the map there was a mapping control in, or I should say, is a mapping control in Power BI. But now you can basically supercharge that by including the Esri map, uh, which is cool. So hopefully the the reasons for that become clear too as we start talking about the the power of uh, of mapping in Esri on this show. Any other comments on that one, Carl? No, it's just I I know that 
uh, we're really ramping up a lot of Power BI work where I am. And I know that uh, mapping had just come up. So this is really timely for the work that I'll yeah, be doing. Absolutely. Google, if you support Amazon's Echo, you're cut off from Google Home and Chromecast. What's, so what's the what, deal here? This is really strange. Yeah. So if you are a developer or a service that is integrating with Amazon Echo, yeah. Google is cutting you off, not letting you into their new Google Home and Chromecast products. So to me, this is this is kind of scary, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess the point is that they're trying to get like Echo developers or people that are thinking about developing for it to be like, oh, you know, I got I to gotta pick and I'm going to pick the Google one. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's exactly the idea. And that's crazy though. That's just that's just mean. I was shocked and, when I saw it. What happened to Don't Do Evil? Like this is like directly evil. Re- remember they dropped that a while ago? So <laughs> yeah, they just I know. Their mom- but this is like textbook evil. <laughs> it's like it's almost like if you have a light bulb and the light socket and the wire and the switch all have to be the same brand, then will we have very many light bulbs in our house? Like it's it's really vendor log in like crazy. Yeah. That's yeah, scary. Yeah. Like well, if if light bulbs were a new invention, I I'm afraid that's probably what would happen. Exactly. I mean, that's happened with like HDMI content protection and that, but this is I don't know, man. You're evil, Chrome or uh, Chrome <laughs> Google. <laughs> As I'm sitting here using Chrome. Ah, uh, yeah. I I don't know. It's it's just kind of ridiculous. So we'll we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, how that actually happens in in reality. Well, all I know is if this would have happened late nineties, Microsoft era, I mean, that's the kind of things that led to, you know, a lot of those court decisions against Microsoft. Exactly. Uh, this next one is scary. So I was flying this day, um, and I had read this story and it kind of freaked me out. Uh, so it was, it was just funny because Carl is the one that included this news story, but, uh, replacement Samsung galaxy note seven catches on fire on Southwest plane. So to be clear, well, actually maybe I should back up, you know, the, the, the note sevens, like, uh, a, a good percentage of them were exploding. Uh, it was a, a flaw in the battery. So they've been replacing these things for free. Samsung, you know, a lot of people are saying they've done the right thing. Uh, and, and so they give you, they take the one that, that is, uh, exploding and they give you one that is non-exploding. Uh, so this non-exploding one exploded, uh, on a plane. Uh, and I think Samsung is like, oh crap. So I don't know. And then they all, they have this whole washing machine issue too. Have you seen that? They had, yeah, a, they have washing, washing machine. They have exploding washing machines. Um, so, so they're really know. an explosives company. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're trying to pivot. (laughs) Doing good. Yeah. Yeah, Sales are exploding. (laughs) Sales are exploding. I I don't know. I feel kind of bad because, you know, obviously they're not trying to do this. Um, I don't know if this is just like poor quality control or, or what the deal is. I mean, I feel like this could have happened to anybody. I don't know if they specifically did something wrong that, that makes it so that, um, they were more prone to this. Um, I don't know. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the company. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Well, and even though that, you know, none of Microsoft's, you know, batteries have exploded either. There was that, you know, battery problem with the surface pro threes. And it just really goes to show you, there is a lot of energy in, you know, modern lithium batteries and mm-hmm. things like this can happen. So hopefully we get a little bit more revolution in some of the safety of these uh, devices going forward. 
Yeah, it, it's crazy because we're everybody's asking for like even 10x the battery density of what we have today. And just think about that. I mean, it's like it's almost like having this is probably a horrible analogy, but it's like having a nuclear bomb in your pocket, you know. And nuclear I know batteries. That, what was that? Yeah, nuclear batteries. That's what we need. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and I, and I and I know we're still like you know orders of magnitude from like nuclear, but but still like the just the ener- the pure energy densities are are just getting insane. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like the fo- my you know you take my phone and like how how it can it can play video for like ten hours or something with that screen like keeping that thing warm and if you play a game you know it the thing obviously heats up a lot um it's just crazy how much heat energy or mechanical energy or whatever is is actually present in that to your point carl and i don't know when we start going 10x that you know maybe maybe there's like a secret society like holding that back because it's when those things explode like it's it'll just kill you or i don't know you know we'll have to we'll have to see the the advancements in in um uh, batteries might really be held back by what happens when they do, um, um, you know, I, I guess their reaction to, to, um, I don't want to say exploding, but their reaction to being shorted out or whatever it is. Like, is it, is it like a chain reaction or is it, is it, the, what, is it only like one small thing that happens? Cause I know like the, the Tesla cars, like they have individual cells that are, are isolated and then they can, they can basically, um, you know, separate that from the rest of the the thing. But I think they, they put some kind of gel or something in there. I don't know. I'm probably explaining completely wrong, but they, they basically use like isolation so that it doesn't, this chain reaction doesn't happen. So, you know, if we can do that at a, at a lower level, that's great. But, um, you know, I don't know if this is gonna be one of those things where the, the safety will lag way behind the actual energy density. And then things are just going to keep getting more and more scary. And then they're going to start banning them from planes, uh, which I don't know, then what are we going to do? Uh, maybe they'll, maybe they'll have like concrete boxes where everybody puts their phone in and then we, well, probably a bad idea to put them all together, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, some kind of safe boxes and then you can't use your phone on the plane. Whatever happened to the hydrogen batteries anyway? Wasn't that a whole thing a few years ago? Oh, there's new battery technology every week, man. I don't know. (laughs) There's, there's something that could be an exploding battery. You talking about like a hydrogen fuel cell? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just I don't think the density is has been there. It hasn't been uh hasn't been that great. Um I don't know and then there's been su- super capacitors and I just ignore every battery advancement thing. And I it was funny cuz I even uh it, this was somebody that we knew Carl. I I won't I won't mention her name, but um she was she was a lawyer and I was talking to her and she was talking about this work she had done at a different company and she's like, "Oh yeah, they're you wouldn't believe the battery technology they have." And I said, "No." No, I, I don't believe it. I'm like, it's just complete crap. I'm like, it's never going to hit the market. And here we are, like, you know, like the timeline that she was talking about, like it should be on the market as of years ago. So um, I, I was I was right. Never happened. Uh, it, battery technology advances by a small percentage every year. And we haven't really found any big shortcuts as of yet. But I want to be proven wrong on that one. Uh, what's this next one, Carl? I see some video of a coffee machine or something. So I thought you put that in there. But either really? way, we can, we, <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk I about it anyways. Not. It got brought up, even though neither of us put it in there, apparently. Uh, so this week in caffeine, uh, it's I, hilarious. Ryan Laudermilk, uh, some of you might know him from the Windows Developer Show, uh, had put out this little like uh, tempted uh, wish list thing that he had on Amazon. It was all coffee gear. And so I responded back to him like, you'll love the AeroPress. 
but he had put like this hand crank burr grinder on there. I said, you might want to upgrade to a manual one. So he found this YouTube video that showed this lady comparing like grinding it yourself and getting just a tiny amount of coffee versus like blasting through grinding coffee on it on, on your own. And, uh, you know, just as a note, you know, I started off with one of the manual grinders. It took me seven minutes of grinding just to yeah, get a if, day's worth no, of grinding. It's not fun. So especially in the working. morning, you're like, you're like, you're like half asleep and you're sitting there like, it's just horrible. <laughs> yeah. I have one too. I have a manual grinder. I used it I mean, for a week and then I bought a, it, an automatic It would be one. great yeah. if you went camping, but yeah, don't do it on your own. That'd still be horrible. Um, that's hilarious though, that this just random video, Ryan Loudermilk, get out of our one note. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> he just wanted to ch- mention. We need to check the permissions. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's 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 bring it back to a serious note here. Let's let's talk about mapping and mapping related stuff. Um, so I guess let let's just start. <laughs> I, I love this first question that that we that we came up with here. Uh, mapping seems hard. How does it work? How how do it work? <laughs> how does it work? Well, it runs on coffee. So there you go. Ah, manual yeah. or, or or motor driven. <laughs> Manual, all manual. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mapping is like manual grinding. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, how does it work? Well, um, that's it. It's it. It just works. Uh, that's that's uh yeah. Um, well, I, I think mapping is. Some people I think is like mapping is hard, but mm-hmm. it really isn't. Um, I think it's just a matter of mindset and, and getting over a couple of hurdles. Like I think a way of thinking of mapping is it's kind of like charting, um, mm-hmm. like a bar chart, but it's just a little more little more data you want to show than that um and in fact people call maps for charts too so it's kind of what it is i guess yeah um but i think i guess one of the the challenges in mapping is getting your head around is that the world is not flat but all our maps seems to be um and that does cause uh, some initial like getting your head around things like uh, longitude latitude is, is that's not mm-hmm. something that just goes right and up or that's um that's a spherical coordinates and goes around. And when you get to 180, it suddenly becomes minus 180 and that's yeah. actually the same value. So you get challenges like that. Like how do you, <laughs> like how do you like um, 10 degrees East at the North pole is also 10 degrees West at the North pole. It's the same point. So um, that oh, doesn't, that's the point doesn't even make sense for because, because there's, it's really a single point at the North pole. Or the south. Well, have you heard, have you heard this about Alaska that, that, that I've heard that it's the northmost state it's the westernmost state and it's the easternmost state. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because <laughs> it ends up it ends up yeah. crossing. I don't know. I can't remember for why, but uh, um, I can't remember if it crosses around the. It crosses the uh, one hundred and eighty degree. Is that why? Yeah. So it ends up being basically loops around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like unsigned <laughs> or signed. It's like a signed value. Right. So yeah, that that the whole fact that everything is round but we map it flat that that causes some challenge. Like, how do you make uh, sphere, the surface of a sphere into a flat map, and there's many ways you can do that, almost an infinite number of ways. Yeah, um, and they all have different ways that are, have different properties. Um, the, the simplest one is just say, well, my longitude, that's in my map, my x coordinate, and my latitude, I'm just trying that as y coordinate. But that mm-hmm. squishes the pole, poles kind of down to become like all stretched and weirdly shaped. Yeah, um, but it's really simple and really fast. Um, most of the web map, uh, online maps are using what's called a Mercator projection, and then that actually does the opposite. It makes the it makes the poles infinitely far away. So the more you go north, the larger everything becomes. Um, and then, so of course, you can't even show the North Pole because it's infinitely far away. So most almost all the maps, like Bing maps, <laughs> Google Maps, OpenStreetMap, 
our standard maps, you mean like they cut off at 85 degrees north and south. So if you want to show polar ice caps and the ice melting, that's not really the map to use. Okay. And if I want to take a trip there, like I'm just not going to get good directions. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> they stop before you fall off the edge. <laughs> yeah. So the earth is flat, just admit it. Sure, Earth flat. <laughs> Sometimes I think it might be easier to take boulders and make the Earth flat than having to deal with the Earth being round all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that'd probably be a lot of work. So we should probably talk about like definitions and stuff like that. Like I hear terms like, well, we did talk about latitude and longitude. I, I think most people know what those are, but then I hear terms like like geospatial. Um, I don't know if there's any other common uh, words that get thrown around. Like, can you help define some of those things? Sure. Like the first one being geospatial. Well, geospatial is, yeah, I'm not sure you can, probably easy to define it, like one of the bigger concepts we talk about is um, GIS, which means geographic information system. So, and that, to make it really simple, it's just a database with an extra column that has a point, line, or a polygon that kind of defines for this area, these, the row, um, that's what this row represents. It's a specific area and has various properties like population or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so when we talk about geospatial, it, it just really talks about um, shapes on on the world, like it's ge- okay. on the geographic uh, scale. So it's spatially because it's kind of almost like trigonometry or like various shapes and, and in a coordinate system. And then geo just means we do it on the Earth. Okay, um, that's probably the, the geospatial and GIS uh, are some of the bigger kind of things. For like so basically information um, about the world and, and places and locations. Okay, um, cool. And then analyzing those, of course, and how they actually relate. Um, things that are nearby each other quite often have similar properties, like the population often speaks the same language, have similar culture, you might have similar types of um, disease outbreaks or, or similar things. So being able to analyze things, how they relate to each other spatially, um, can often reveal some patterns that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. Yeah, you brought up a good point there, was that you know we need to be able to do things like distance between different latitudes and longitudes, and it's not just a matter of like subtracting the two, right? Like you actually have there's like a formula to figure out what the distance is because of that Mercator projection that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you were to put a point on in Alaska, for that matter, and yeah. in Russia, and you well you have maybe negative 107 degrees or 107 degrees west. Or, and mm-hmm. then 107 degrees east, and you, if you were to draw on a flat mat, it would go the long way around. But really, the shortest is the other <laughs> way, and maybe a little bit over the pole too. Because um, I never so, even thought of that—that that there's there's two different ways to get between any two points. Actually, there's well, infinite, infinite, but I guess yeah. there's yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So so on these maps, the shortest route is never a straight line. Well, it is a straight line, but on these yeah. maps, it it distorts the whole uh, what a straight line looks like, and that's one of the right. problems with 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 making the map flat. Um, so that that can that that causes some confusion too because it looks like it's the the long way around. Um, another example is you want to show a circle like a ten mile radius around a, a, an area. It looks the in certain locations the the circle looks like an ellipse. And and we've heard I've heard before people were like, but that's not a circle. I wanted a circle. And it's like, but it is a circle. It's just because of the map and how <laughs> it's squished flat. It squeezes it. So we had to come up with custom projections that. Made sh- that basically was centered on that location and then squished the rest of the map so the distortion mirror was so small you couldn't actually see the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the for the person who actually want to see circles and not ellipses, even though they yeah. technically were. So it can also can convey the wrong thing when you don't see a straight line. Um, okay. Well, this is how Kirk beat Khan in Star Trek II, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that type of thinking. Go ahead, Carl. So what, what kind of solutions do maps make easier to solve when we start using them with technology? Well, I, 
it kind of almost touched a little bit like how things are relating to each other, correlating based on the location. Um, classic example is that you might have a, a bunch of um, uh, patients with a certain type of like lung cancer, for instance. And so all these lung cancer patients, you can take their location and put them on like, where do they live? And put them on, as dots on a map. And then you could start overlaying that with various types of air pollution, for instance. And you might start seeing a trend that, well, when we have a high concentration of this pollution, we also have a high concentration of this type of lung cancer. So maybe there's something here we need to look at. So it can also help you give some correlation that you, you wouldn't have seen in a normal table because it would just have been addresses and you've not been able to actually make that distinction. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the huge benefits you could do there. Um, but almost all companies today use it also for... Um, all sorts of analysis like customer uh, base. So which kind of uh, people live in my area? Are they, for instance, mainly listen to radio? Are they high income, low income? Like how should I promote my company in this area? Um, are there certain areas where I sell better than others? Why is that? What, is, what kind of population are, are in my area or location? Are, am I too far from certain things? What's my, how many lives in for a 10-minute uh, radius of driving? But it's just a 10-minute or 10-mile radius that can be very different based on freeways can push that limit out further so you can use routing and stuff to actually figure out that so you can do much more detailed analysis than that and that's some of the stuff that powered bi also helps you do where you can bring in some of this authoritative data that can tell you some more information about um about the the area that you're in and then actually derive some other conclusions that have always been impossible to do just from a bar chart or from a normal table yeah, I've seen a lot of really cool visualizations where they combine a map with like a bar, a 3D bar chart, mm-hmm. you know, because humans are very visual and and having that map and then being able to show those bars on there makes it really quick and easy mm-hmm. to see like this is, you know, these power plants are are higher capacity or this mm-hmm. this is a larger population or, you know, Seattle gets more rain than, you know, whatever. Um, so those I, those are always really cool and they make for really good demos. Right. And I mean, we have all sorts of fancy algorithms to calculate correlated values between spatial location and other properties. Sometimes just putting a set of customers or a set of incidents on your map can instantly, you can just look at it and say, oh, over here, there's a problem over here we're not covering. Or like, just from visually, you can very, very quickly see things on, um, that you might want to correct. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions SharePlus and Report Plus enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. So I've used a lot of different mapping APIs, and I'm just kind of curious how easy it is to switch between them or, or you know, kind of what your experience is there. Because um, there's like Google Street Map, there's Google, there's Bing Maps. Um, and, you know, I have, I can either pick one and I can hit against that API, but, you know, like actually switching between them, do they have kind of all the, the same semantic definition? 
definitions? Like, you know, how, how easy is that? What does that look like? Well, I think they all, I think all of them pretty much have a JavaScript API, but they're mm-hmm. all their own JavaScript API. So yeah. you of course have to learn uh, things a little bit different. All of them uses the longitude latitude typically. Of course, there's multiple types of longitude latitudes, but the one they usually is called WS84, which is generally what you get from your GPS. And that's, right. a, that's like a good model of, of the world worldwide. There's better models you can use for the shape of the earth for local areas, um, which generally they don't support. So it, that's generally how those things work. They all use, most of them use this Mercator projection I talked about that cuts off the poles. So a lot of this stuff is the same. They often look the same. Um, they often have the same set of features, like you can have aerial view or street view. And um, and it's, for the most part, some dots on the map you can throw in. Um, a place where we kind of differ is we also, we don't have to do Mercator. That's that's some of the, one of the standard ones you just get from begin with, but it can be anything and it can be any data. A lot of them also have like for instance, Google and Bing Maps, they have their their map, and then you can put stuff on top. But what if you don't want to use that map, but something else that can get a little trickier sometimes. Um, so that that's where the difference. If you don't really need that, you just need to put some some dots on the map. They're all fairly straightforward to use, and they can all do it. And I think moving from one to the other is different. Um, I guess the the real difference starts coming if if you don't want to do JavaScript. If you're .NET developer, for instance, like well, what are my options then? Um, I know Xamarin Forms has kind of a uh, made a little bit of an abstract control of the different platforms. You have Android and iOS and Windows, they're all different map controls. They try abstract that a little bit away. Um, and, and if you're a WP developer, there's the map control um, API namespaces that provide something similar to the uh, what you have uh, in the JavaScript API, of course, but just through .NET, but some of the limitations as well. They have improved um, over the time. And, and again, like we also have APIs that runs on pretty much any platform you can think of. Um, so, so yeah. So, you- so as Esri is a little bit more of a premier, de, uh, has a more premier offering than OpenStreetMap or Google and Bing in this uh, uh, in this case. What what kind of things do you offer that those other types of services don't? First of all, I think you provide quite a lot more data. We have quite a lot of different maps to um, to, to use as like for, as a starting point for you. Um, one of the things I like to say, like if you take an aerial map, like because it looks cool, you have all the aerial image data and, and it looks real, and you put your data on top. The aerial data has so much information in it, and it almost distracts from what you're trying to show. You really so having just a, a plain, almost gray map that just kind of gives you a reference where you're at, maybe a couple of major cities, but faded out. That actually gives a really good experience, and that's some of the, the maps we have out of the box, so we can really focus on your data. Um, but also, well, some of the things you provide is is we, we we allow you to author and manage and publish your own data for all for all the way through for all of the data, including the base map. Um, often, for instance, government have their own um, data for their location, so they can better optimize for. Um, we also do routing against your own route data set. Um, an example oh, wow. is emergency vehicles. They they have different rules. Like yeah. normal normal network data set might say that on average this um, this intersection takes this long to get through because you have on average have to wait this long for a red light. So it optimizes based on that. But when you're an emergency vehicle, you can turn your lights on and then everything changes. Now it, you, they might just slow down a little bit. So they, they change the whole thing. They might have fire roads they can drive on. So so being able to for them to create use their own routing data sets. Um, some of the stuff we provide, we provide the tools for creating them and managing them, but also for using them and, and on your devices as well. Um, yeah. I've we seen a lot here. of municipalities that have maps where you can go out and like overlay, here's what it looked like in like 1960, here's what the land plots were, those types of things. I'm guessing they're using your technology. Quite often, yeah, that, that would be the case, yeah. Okay. Um, so they, and generally, like we we have a whole system of it, so it's not just... 
rendering that, but also managing, maintaining, have server backends to maintain all the data and, uh, and keep it up to date. Um, mobile devices, we can sync stuff. So if you are not relying on a secure or a, a, a consistent connection in the field, like you might be in a, poor, a place with poor connection, you can take your data offline and, and you can do actually edit the data in the field and then sync um, with the server when you get a connection or also get changes that have been made by other people and only updated the, the deltas. Um, so it's this definitely some of the, the stuff for field workers we focus a lot on um, also for offline. Basically, going offline is, is, is a big deal for us, um, for, okay. for especially for field uh, people, but also the whole Absolutely. back office piece to it. Absolutely. You don't want to just all of a sudden not have your tools with you. Mm -hmm. uh, I, so, I guess, oh, sorry. Yeah. Just, uh, no, no. Another thing is the whole analysis part. So if you have these whole things where you can set up models, actually kind of drag and drop tools that performs the whole analysis and gives you results out or based on an input. One of the fun ones I have is, I like that one, is it has the all the, um, the currents in the oceans and you can then drop a click on a map and say, if I drop a water bottle here, what would go over the next year? And you can kind of see where it kind of... Oh, goes that's cool. It's kind of neat. Depressing, but, really, but cool. <laughs> yeah, so you can build up models like that and do these type of calculations. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, so I, I run into this problem a lot where I have a database full of addresses um, and and I want to I geocode those. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to get the latitude and longitude for those addresses. And, and historically, that's just been a major issue because like every time I try to use... like, Of course, I always try to use a free solution you know, I'll, I'll send them to like Bing or Google and right away they throttle you. And it's like, oh, you've asked for more than two of these. So, you know, no more today. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so how do, how do I how do I go about doing that if I have, you know, this huge database of addresses and I want to geocode it? Mm -hmm. Well, you can actually use Power BI as one of the functionalities for it. Um, okay. But um, yeah, though, so if you use uh, the UWP, they actually have a thing it's called Map Location Finder okay. in their API. It has a built in. But you're right. There are all there are limits on these, and there's um, I think you hit you are um, using some of your your tokens. There's a limit, or you can end up paying for paying for extra um, for geo codes. So yeah, geo codes like process yeah. code. You can either go from an address to a location on the map, or from a location on the map to an address. Right. Yeah. We all do that when we click on the map. It gives you the address of it. That's gives that's reverse geo code, right? Yeah, because I pretty much have to use a service, right? There's really no getting around that because if if I'm not using a service, then I, I could potentially be using out-of-date information then. True, true. Um, yeah. So we, we actually do provide here also to, for our tools to generate these um, these tools that can do so if you have your own authority data. But we, we had the last one we did, we did a geocode for the entire world in a single 15 gig, I think it was 15 or 14 gigabyte <laughs> file that you could take wow. on your mobile device. Yeah. It's a fairly large file, but it worked for the entire yeah. world. And because it ran on the device without a service, we could do it as quickly as you can move the mouse over. So as you're moving your mouse, it shows the address of that location, uh, okay. which is really cool. So there, there is ways to go these offline. They have huge amounts to actually do it offline. Um, for online, there are, you're right, there's quite often that cost when you hit a certain limit. Um, but pretty much all the MEM provides provide something. We have something. Bing Maps has something. Google has something as well. Yeah, um, it does. It does sound like you know. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, it does sound like I, I start using a map. If I just want to display some points on map, like you know, pretty much anybody can do that. But it, but pretty quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit this limit. I'm gonna want to do something uh, just a little bit more advanced, and it's probably you know it's gonna be like some kind of business function. It sounds like at that point, that's when I need right. to start talking to you guys. Yeah, so we start doing what we call batch geocoding because you have a whole set of them. You basically want to upload a file and get them all down again. Um, that uh, pretty much all the services charge for that at that point. Um, mm -hmm. But most of them can do a single at a time up to a certain limit. Um, all right. So w once I get all of this data 
not just maybe points, but uh, shapes and whatnot into my database. I know SQL Server has a bunch of different uh, inbuilt functions mm -hmm. to do different things with, uh, you know, shapes. What kind of functions are these and when should I use those versus trying to use like either a mapping provider to f you figure out what to do with my data? Well, I think for the, the what the geodatabase provides is simple uh, relational operations. Like, is this point within this polygon? Right? Mm -hmm. So is this within that state, for instance, or vice versa? Give me all the points that are within a certain zip code. Yep. Um, and then you can do a sum on that for a certain attribute. You know, let's, or the count could give you the population or something yeah. like that. There's also some so union functions. For zip code, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was one thing that, that Carl and I had worked on uh, a while ago was we had a whole bunch of different regions and we basically had to join those and SQL Server would let you select all the regions and then pull it back basically as a, as a single uh, combined polygon, which was pretty cool. Not yeah, just so that, but a shape with holes, which was... Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just the outline. It was also the, yeah, with holes, you could do like a donut type um, mm -hmm. area, which is really cool. Yeah. So, so it gives you all those operations to, to basically just do aggregating data based on location um, mm -hmm. but then you still have to do the analysis on it you have to do like the average or the count or sum or yeah then maybe take that to the next process so there's a lot more steps there um, and again you said you need all the data some of the stuff what the online tools can do can do a lot of that for you and automatically give you um, like analysis on based on like what's the I don't know, the income of this area on average for generally based on your your store locations and they can do a lot more um, data mining that way that might be tougher doing locally but if it's just for symbol um location processor distance or within certain areas aggregation the database does that does fine and, and sql server has really really great support and, and there's actually one of the few databases that really understands that the world is round mm -hmm. um and that the shortest path is actually the short way and all the way other way around uh, a lot of them don't actually <laughs> handle it the right way oh really <laughs> um, no it's, it's most of the most maps I've seen, they, they, they treat the Antarctica like this kind of like jagged edge and then goes straight down along the one edge, straight across and up again. But that whole area doesn't really exist at the bottom because that's really just where the map ends and then starts again on the other side at the bottom. But that's really one point. <laughs> really, Antarctica is like a circle around the bottom. Right? Yeah. And, and SQL Server can actually like understand that. Um, it does add some complexity. But if you go one way, it's it means the bottom. If you go the other way, it means the top. So you have to also consider the, what direction your ring goes in. Um, but they can also be, be neat to use for like everything but Antarctica, for instance, if you want to go the other way around. Um, okay. So I should use those functions in my database, and then and then any the once once that functionality ends in the database, then use the mapping provider for the rest. You could, yeah. Or you okay. could do it all in the map provider, or you can use the databases in the cloud instead to do it all, right? And then have have one place to to maintain all the area, your data as authority data, and your clients will pull from that straight up. Okay, cool. And then, um, you know, knowing that like zip codes change, boundaries of shapes change, and and uh, unfortunately, I live in a zip code that um, covers two cities, which is really annoying, by the way. Uh, I I always I always knew like these places existed, and now I live in one, and it's really tough because like I go to different web pages and I type in my zip code, and it puts in the wrong city name. Uh, so don't do that. Anybody who's listening, <laughs> don't, don't, don't make assumptions about that. I guess there's zip codes also that cross states, which is just mind boggling to me that the same zip code is in two different states. But anyway, um, talking about how that data actually changes, is there any best practices that you're aware of for, for dealing with that? Like, can I subs do I subscribe to that data so that I know when it changes or like, how, how does that work? That's a great question. Um, 
Well, it's, so dealing with like what we call authoritative data like that, um, it is a challenge to mm-hmm. keep that up to date. And I mean, zip codes don't change that often, luckily, but they, they can yeah. change and they do now and then. Um, so I would go to some of the data providers that provide services um, that connect. And you basically, I would pull that in dynamically. Uh-huh. If, if the provider allows you to cache it, it could be beneficial to cache the, the data uh, and then update on, on now and then. Uh, so does Esri supply any of that data or is that something I go to a third party for? We, we do have that as services as well online. That okay. Yeah. Okay. So I could come and look at like, you know, if I wanted to know zip codes and what the boundaries are that I would just, you're the one-stop shop then? It could be, yeah. Okay, cool. So how is, how is uh, development with for mapping different when you're developing for web versus when you're doing it for a mobile client like UWP or Xamarin or iOS? Well, it doesn't have to be different. It, it can work both ways, but I think when you're do- talking about mobile development, one thing you really have to think about now is your data connection. Um, so we're typically when you use JavaScript, you're typically working with a with an online always connected app for the most part. Um, so how do you how do you do that um, when you're if you can't rely on your connection? You can't have uh, imagine your your drive application when you need to go somewhere and the internet connection drops because you're out in the middle of nowhere and suddenly you can't give you directions anymore, like. That, of course, shouldn't be allowed to work. So you need to be able to run something offline. And with mobile devices, that definitely becomes an issue, right? Um, so be able to have a, be able to cache data on the device. Uh, that, of course, can add some complexity. If it's if it's an app, you know it's often going to be used in areas where you can't guarantee a connection. Um, uh, so, so that's definitely something that, that you have to uh, think about. Um, mm-hmm. Does the API provide those kind of functionalities? Um, like, you know, in, in, uh, on, on Windows, you can download the maps offline for certain states at a time you can go in and, and pick and take them offline and and it, it can actually do some kind of routing in that case it, i believe traffic then doesn't work you can't get routing based on traffic because that's real time right you still get a route uh, what was the traffic yesterday yeah some, <laughs> some services do provide that with historical traffic data right so you can predict yeah. where what it might be uh, yeah. but of course accidents can't really yeah, Google, Google is just horrible at that, by the way. So I, you know, now that I live in a, a city with just tons and tons of traffic, um, some of the worst in the country, I go in there to, to figure out like, okay, what is like the average drive time between these two points? And, and, and Google Maps will tell me, um, like for me to get to work, it will say, oh, it's going to take somewhere between, uh, you know, if I, if I do like a future, like if I do, what is it right now? It tells me, but if I say, what is it going to be tomorrow at three, even though it has average historical data, it goes all oh, between somewhere, somewhere between 35 minutes and two hours. Like, yeah, thanks Google. <laughs> That's totally what I was looking for. Luckily Waze is a little bit better. Waze always underestimates it a little bit, but at least I can, I can add in a little fudge factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so but just, at least Google is not better. wrong. It's right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I can answer any math problem, you know, it's somewhere yeah. between plus and minus infinity. Number. Yeah. Plus and minus infinity or, or more or less. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and maybe it's imaginary. I don't know that, that we're probably still wrong. Carl, there's some mathematician listening. Who's just like, Oh, they didn't forget about, uh, they forgot about, uh, you know, complex numbers. Imagine, yeah, complex, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Negative. I or <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure you talked about? Um, no, I, I, no, I think, uh, put a map in your app. I think, uh, one thing I do have one of my, uh, one of my experience on some of the best mapping apps I've seen. Yeah. Didn't have a map in them. 
And I think that's kind of thought provoking. <laughs> I know, but okay. if you really know how the app works, you know there's a bunch of mapping stuff going on under the covers that helps you drive through the experience. Um, and you know, that for an example is uh, a transit app. You're getting from A to B using the the transit yeah. system. You you might not actually need a map. You, yeah, you it tells you to get out an address. And, yeah. Right, but all that is powered by it. Giving a map might just confuse the whole experience. Um, it can give you an. You often they give you an option to actually see it on a map if you want to see, but generally it's not necessarily that. So I I think that sometimes you have to think about: Do you want a map in your app? Is that really necessary? Right, um, or then give them a option to to help support a certain a certain workflow that you're trying to show. Um, so I, I think that that's something to, to to think about. Is is a map really needed, or can I just use all the spatial analysis tools that I have available to maybe just drive through that and and figure that out for you? Yeah. Um, or like when I'm walking and I have the the map, you know, tell me the directions as in 200 feet turn left, mm-hmm. which I never quite trust because it it never it's never that great at knowing which direction I'm going, especially in in big cities. But right. I've been trying to do that a little bit more, you know, because the worst thing is that I just walk like an extra block. But um, you're right, you know, taking the map out of the equation. Um, if if we can get really good at at what we're doing, the map was really just a crutch for for what was actually going on, which was navigating me. But again, you bring up a good point. Often when I drive with my navigation app, it will say like in 300 feet, turn right. And then 200 feet, there's another side street. And you're not really sure. Yeah, like so you, you double check the map to say, oh, there's another street I have to pass first before I get there. So sometimes it does help. And that's, that's I'm not saying you shouldn't put a map in your app if that doesn't make sense or if it doesn't make right. sense. Right. Um, but it's just something to, something to question yourself. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah it should, it, in, in that case, it should almost say something. It should say, you know, you're, I don't know, some, somehow warn you that there's another right. one. That, yeah. Yeah. Your second right. You know, don't take the first one. That's not the right one. There's a place in, well, I'm sure there's lots of places, but I remember a place in Wisconsin like that where you'd see half the cars because I knew they were following your GPS. They would turn the wrong way. And I, and I knew to watch for them because I did it once. And then I actually saw one of those uh, types of intersections here recently. So um, I can totally understand what's going on there. Could have said like after the gas station, turn right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's it's funny that there is like a big difference between how we explain directions to, you know, human to human versus versus map to human. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If there's if there's like major landmarks, you know, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, room for improvement there in the in the map saying, you know, at the McDonald's, take a right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they just totally ignore that right now, but you know, but then McDonald's, the McDonald's closed last week and then you're host. Well, that's why, <laughs> I, that's why I asked about updating data. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it has to be like, you know, some kind of push service, you know, the second that McDonald's goes out of business and they pulled on the arches, um, Esri better let me know. <laughs> yeah. Having, having up-to-date data is a challenge. Uh, crowdsourcing yeah. is an interesting that, thing there right? where, um, you can you can have every any the first person who realizes that McDonald's isn't there anymore could have pushed that in, but that yeah. also makes you question the data. Like, how authoritative is it? Is it is it is it fake or is it um, is it actually true? How do you how do you validate that for mm-hmm. crowdsourcing? Because Waze let you, lets you do that, but I have seen roads that were closed that it didn't tell me were closed. Mm-hmm. And when I do see that it's closed, I always wonder like. I wish you just tell me, like, was that a hundred people that reported that or was it just one person who you might not trust? (laughs) So, you know, cause I always, I always worry about that in the morning with the traffic, like that somebody is going to manipulate that because if I wanted to get to work real quick, I could just go into ways and basically take my whole path and like mark all the roads as closed. 
um, so that nobody gets routed on there, and then I could get to work really fast. <laughs> really but clever. Really I'm sorry, clever. I'm di- yeah. I'm diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. I'm actually amazed how how good Wages is letting you yeah. know about a parked car on the side of the street. And like it's it's yeah pretty quick. To well, they so they 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 do they are reputation based. So I have heard about the police trying to game it, where they they basically like you know put fake cop cars all over the map. Um, but the thing is, they don't have any reputation. Um, they haven't built up any reputation, so it Waze doesn't believe them. But I have reputation. I've I've been thanked, you know, dozens of times across like dozens of different incidents for like police and things like that. So I'm sure, you know, they don't tell you what your reputation is, but I'm sure Waze trusts my information because they've had it independently verified so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could probably, if I need to get to work one time, I could probably mark something as closed. Um, but then after that, they're not going to trust me again because everybody's going to put in opposite information. So... Okay, Carl, what is the dev tip of the week? So this week I have two. The first one is from the blog of Matthias Huckstra. And he um, he works at Microsoft uh, focusing on enterprise apps. And so he has a solution. If you want to have a UWP app, but not put it in the store, if you want to sideload it, yeah. Uh, one of, one of the things that you lose is you lose the ability for the store to auto update your app when you right. put out a new uh, feature. So he actually provided a solution. Um, when you uh, sideload an app, you also get extra API capabilities. There's certain things that you're allowed to do in a sideloaded app because not everybody's going to get it. You're going to only put it there purposefully. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you can do is you can actually update yourself. There's APIs. Oh, wow. That will let you do that. So he actually wrote some code to show you how to implement that. So you can put a file out on a web share somewhere and be able to detect that and use that to update yourself. So that okay, is really, really cool. cool. That yeah, is so, really cool. So if I'm understanding correctly, I could download uh, you know, an AppX package and sorry with the anniversary update, I can just double click on that and, and actually install that. Um, so does it work in that scenario? I believe it would. Okay. Because that's, that's like- really awesome. It's almost like you can build your own store with this. Like you have your own your apps update themselves. Yeah. The project that he's doing this for, I don't know if you saw the earlier blog post why he's doing this, but he's 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 working on trying to put a cheap Lumia 640s around the house as little home automation controllers. So like yeah. a light switch and stick. So the $30 light switch that's always online, but it could also be a camera. It could also be a music player. It could be an intercom. Oh, that's such a good point. It's a really neat idea and just screw it in the wall instead of a light switch and then have a little uh, charger on behind it. Because a Zigbee light switch is going to cost you 30, 35 bucks as it is. Yeah. So yeah, why not throw a whole phone there? I kind of, that's funny. It kind of shows you like, you know, (laughs) how, uh, how um, inexpensive that technology is for what you get. But then when you update all your switches, that gets tricky. So this is a really neat way to do it. Yeah, you could just do like the V-Next through like AT&T <laughs> <laughs> or Verizon. <laughs> you could just pay $1,000 a month and then you're well, I mean, updating the app itself. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, so that's pretty the, cool. Yeah, so the next thing I have is something for .NET from Rudy Wynn. Um, he has a prolific uh Windows phone apps uh, experiences. And the problem he's trying to solve is pluralization. So how do you handle it? Not just like in a language, but kind of all the languages, for example, like you might just do like, if it's one day ago, zero days ago, or two days ago, well, there's, those are different edge cases that affect Mm -hmm. the pluralization. So you might have a string that contains like the number that you want to swap out. So you could just put it in, but how do you know which form of it to use much less like in Polish, there's not just two plural forms, there's four. 
So he uh, wrote this uh, uh, open source project to handle pluralization for, um, I don't know, it's not quite all the languages, but it's definitely, I'm looking at the That's list. A lot. Estimating. Have, it's like 50, yeah. 60 languages. Yeah, no that idea are supported. How this. Yeah. And it, it covers the platforms for Silverlight, Windows Phone, WinRT, UWP, ASP.NET, Core, apps, Xamarin. So any essentially anything you can write in .NET, you can get this pluralization. And it is different than if you're using the humanizer uh open source project. Um, mm-hmm. it, these are a little bit different than how they're doing the pluraliz- pluralizations. This one's very p- specific and it covers, like we said, literally dozens of languages. Yeah. Yeah. It really bothers me. Like he's got the example here where you say three item and then in, in parentheses, it says S. So it's like item or items. Um, and he's, he says that's lazy. And it's like, that one doesn't bother me too much. What really bothers me is whenever it says, um, one items, yeah. <laughs> you know, I see that all, all the time. And it was like, really, really? Like you're, you're not even like, it's like step one, put parentheses around it. Step two, go out and, uh, and use Rudy's uh, library here. Uh, cause it's just the right, right thing to do. It's going to, it's going to make your users trust you more because it's going to look like a more polished application. So that's another, another good find. Okay. Here we go. We there's a game that we play, Morton. That is, um, what you have to do is you have to pick a number between one and four, inclusive, and then you have to answer a question. Hey, well, let's go all the way to four. Number four, good choice. Would you rather have to swallow a tiny worm with every meal you eat, or let ten flies walk over your every meal for an hour before you eat it? Oh, can't have both. <laughs> wow and we're done here <laughs> that's a good question I, I think i think if you do the second one i think you will have both <laughs> that's, that's very true that's very true so i'll go with number i'll go with it just a worm then yeah i'm just thinking i'm thinking the worm because like it's just it's just a worm the second one it's just uh, you're yeah stuff is gonna happen like it's it's not gonna be a good situation okay carl pick a number i'll take number two Number two, would you rather pick a carpet clean with tweezers instead of vacuuming or trim the lawn? Actually, did we just do this one? I think we just did this one. I'm going to pick a different one. I'm crossing that off. It's going in the archives, never to happen again. Okay. Oh, this is good. Would you rather have the ability to erase memories from your own mind or the ability to erase memories from someone else's mind? Well, if I go and do it to myself, I will be deluded and happy all the time. Whereas if I do it to somebody else, I might have guilt about it. So I will re- uh, erase my own. Okay. Very insightful, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty diabolical. So I'm going to erase other people's minds. Yeah. You could just uh, go and make the other people happy because they don't know all the bad things. Yeah. They, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not as evil as you, Jason. <laughs> I think yeah. we, we have that part down. Yeah. And then when, when something embarrassing happens, you can just bloop stricken from the record, you know, it just, people forget about it, but that's pretty cool. I mean, it's like, it's pretty like blank check as well. I mean, it says the, to erase memories from, I mean, that's like any, I guess I was, I I guess I was assuming also just maybe one other person's. So I guess if it's from everybody's, anybody's memory at any one time. Oh, I see how it is. (laughs) There's, there's no, there's no take backs. No, I get, I, you can change your answer, but yeah, it's any memory from any person and it's like forever too. So you can, this could be at any so point. That, that, just, that's a, that is a pretty blank check. So yeah, that yeah. would be a huge power. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed to remember that whole character yet that does this. Yeah. 
This would be a suit. This would be a good superpower. Yeah. That, that's almost like on heroes, the guy who could travel through time. Yeah. That's, it's almost it's like, the same uh, thing. Hero. Or it's almost like the guy from like Jessica Jones too. Similar to that. Yeah. I don't know if there's, there's probably a comic book of the guy that has this. So, or girl. Well, we don't uh, remember. Okay. He erased our memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Somebody had this ability. I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe lots of people have it. I don't know. That's something, something to think about anyway. <laughs> so Morton, uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Well, they can find me on Twitter dot Morton okay. spelled out. Um, I'm on GitHub too, under the same. Um, okay. if you guys want to look at our SDKs as well, um, we have .NET and we just have a beta now for Xamarin as well. That's almost done. Um, so you get the same mapping API across everything and that will be developers.su.com. You can go and get the SDK there. Several parts of it is, is free to use. Some of it costs from more advanced features costs a little extra for licensing, but, um, definitely go and check out the beta. If you guys want It's on new, it's going to be a nuke as well. Um, okay. Soon. Awesome. Very cool. Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash whytechie. So Morton, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about mapping. It's a very cool topic. Thank you for having me.